This podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. TD Ameritrade is reinventing how you invest. Whether you want to place a trade on Facebook Messenger or get market news from your smart speaker, TD Ameritrade has everything you need to invest on your terms. See what's new at tdameritrade.com innovation. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Thursday, August 2nd. We're talking about major oil company earnings. I'm your host, Michael Douglas. I'm joined by Jason Hall. As a reminder, we are, uh, we've, we've shifted the lineup here in Industry Focus a little bit. Uh, Sarah Priestley has left Industry Focus. I've joined the uh, Energy and Industrial Show on Thursdays going forward. And Shannon Jones has now taken over the Financials Show from me, which I know is going to be just a fantastic um, I know she's going to do really great things with that show, so I'm really excited for her. And I'm really excited, Jason, to be here with you to talk about big energy companies. Yeah, me too. Me too. I think we can call them super majors. We're going to talk about the big guys. Yeah, the the, the really big ones. Um, and so just in terms of thinking about our conversation, we're going to talk about each of the each of the big ones specifically. That's Chevron, Royal Dutch Shell, Exxon, and BP. And then um, we'll we'll kind of step back and think about general takeaways and kind of like the major uh, conclusions that we can draw. Um, so, so that's sort of how we're going to structure things today. And let's start with Chevron. Um, and as we're going to probably say every time, um, at least for most of them, pretty good earnings. I mean, you know, revenue is up 22% year over year. Net income and earnings per share more than doubled. Operating cash flow up nearly 50%. I mean, just in general, a pretty good quarter for Chevron shareholders and definitely a, a reflection uh, of recovering oil prices. So yeah, it's funny what happens when oil prices go up 48% year over year. And if you actually, if, if you look back, you know, kind of in the middle of the second quarter of the year, you know, oil prices were up almost 60% uh, from the, where they were during the same period of the year before. And, and I mean, as we go through this, you're going to see that's. I mean, that's what's that's what's driving the uh, earnings and cash flows for uh, for the super majors right now. You know, it's funny because you look at these really big companies and you think diversification, right? Because once you get up to a certain market cap, there's kind of this assumption that you, you know, do a lot of different things, and, and to some extent, they do do a lot of different things, right? But they are still very heavily levered to one thing, <laughs> which is the price of oil. Absolutely. Um, and you know, with Chevron, I mean, what, what you've seen here is like just year over year. You know, U.S. upstream basically swung from negative to positive earnings. So that right there takes you know what was a big drag on profit, turned it around. Um, and uh, really, the only other thing, uh, well, so the international upstream is their biggest segment by a, a long shot, um, more than doubled. In fact, it's it's bigger than the other three combined. So you know, with with Chevron, yeah, you really well, want to be it's focusing. Gonna continue, it's going to continue to grow too because they have those major. International LNG export facilities, right? Still adding capacity to, so that's going to grow. But, you know, we're also going to see, and here's a here's a thread that we're probably going to see for 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 the rest is maybe not as much for Shell, but definitely Exxon, BP. Um, we're gonna we're gonna hear about um, U.S. Uh, production, shale, right? The Permian right. Basin. You know, we're gonna hear a lot about that because that's where there's a huge amount of of production growth that's happening, that's driving, uh, it's filling a lot of demand. Uh, for for a global for a global demand for oil right now, right. Well, and you see Chevron really focusing in on that upstream production and and really kind of continuing to divest on the downstream side because they're really looking to take advantage of these soaring oil prices and frankly the the big understand the the big opportunity to you know with shale uh, in particular get really um, low break even price assets. 
Yeah, well, it's, there's 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 a couple things. So yeah, definitely the the break even, especially the Permian Basin, um, the Eagleford, uh, a few other a few other uh, shell uh, plays in the U.S. Um, the 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 ability that to turn them on very quickly is is huge too. So right. you think about these super majors. Generally, they've kind of they've had you know experience in in offshore. They've had experience in you know in the Middle East and traditional plays. They've, they've been a little slower to really move into shale um, because shale has been so expensive to produce historically. But, you know, the technology's gotten better. They've refined the processes a lot. And with shale, you know, you can you can literally within weeks, you can start drilling a well. And within weeks, you can be at a point where you can produce oil Yeah. Uh, versus offshore. You know, we're talking at a minimum years and sometimes decades for some of these major offshore. So the ability to get a quick return is a huge thing that's driving a lot of the, the shale, the shale investment that we're seeing. Yeah. Any other thoughts specifically on Chevron or shall we turn to number two, Royal Dutch Shell? Yeah, I think one thing I like about about Chevron is that it's done and you'll when we get to Exxon, you'll hear kind of a counter story. But Chevron's done a really good job of focusing on LNG uh, versus natural gas production. And that's been a big boost for its earnings over the over the past number of years. It's spent a lot of money to get to get there, but that's a nice thing that they've really done. That's 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 worked out well. Yeah. Um, by the way, folks, uh, that's Chevron ticker symbol CVX. Again, CVX. I'm going to try to do a better job of mentioning the uh, tickers as we're getting started. So the next uh, company we're going to talk about, Royal Dutch Shell, um, which is. Um, well, if, if you're doing the ADRs uh, here in the U.S., it's RDS.A. Um, and, you know, in a lot of ways, a similar story in terms of just like kind of your top and bottom lines. Revenue is up 37% year over year. Uh, earnings <laughs> got very close to quadrupling, <laughs> which is just wild when you see that. Uh, and, um, and, you know, their integrated gas segment um, tripled. Um, with natural gas kind of being a big focus for them. So obviously another, you know, as we've kind of discussed with Chevron, you know, a big growth opportunity there. Yeah, I think, well, one, one thing to throw out there too, there are actually two tickers. There's RDSA and then there's RDS.B as well. Mm. Um, the difference is the way that they pay the, the dividend for each of those. And I think most U.S. retail investors tend to gravitate towards the, the B share. That's um, when I've owned the company in the past, that's, that's what I owned. Um, so... I suggest investors just take a minute to read the difference between those two and determine what's best for them. You, if you decide to establish a position in uh, in Shell, so just wanted to throw that out there too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so you think about Shell, and I, I think of all the the super majors in recent years. I don't really want to use the term turnaround, but there's definitely kind of a bit of a turnaround that's happened with Shell. This is a company that that you, know, you go back a few years ago. It had a pretty pretty high amount of leverage. Uh, its its assets were really expensive in terms of the cost of production. It was just kind of treading water, um, but kind of at the worst of the of the oil downturn, made a big move and and uh, acquired BG Group, just more of a natural gas um, uh, focus um, producer. Started selling off other non core assets, brought its cost of production way down on the oil side, as well as the added production on the natural gas side. Um, it's, you know, I, I think, um, I think in terms of, of the super majors, I think shell is, it's, it's been my favorite for about a year. And I think in terms of its prospects where it sits in the sector, I, I still really like, I really like shell a lot. It pays a, a great dividend. It's got a solid yield 
And I mean, look at its cash flows, you know, nine and a half billion dollars in operating cash flows, as you said, basically quadrupled earnings. Um, and it can continue to be profitable, even if oil prices don't necessarily trend higher. Yeah, because, well, they've done a good job of divesting some of those non-core higher cost assets. Well, and and one other thing that we'll note here, and this is just a thing to particularly note with this quarter's earnings. So Royal Dutch Shell, when they bought uh, BG back in 16, you know, there was a significant amount of share dilution as a result of that, as they paid um, they paid a lot of shares for it. And so they've just announced a $25 billion share buyback program to uh, sort of reverse uh, a bunch of that dilution. Now, of course, <laughs> here's the problem, right? You know, you're buying back those shares at a 40% premium to, you know, or so to what you issued shares for BG um, back in 16. So, of course, there's some there's some element of inefficiency in the financial engineering there. But at the same time, um, at, you know, at the time that was that was the way to get BG Group, uh, and that was how, um, and, and that's really driven so much of their growth that it's an acquisition that made a lot of sense, even if that dilution is being reversed in a, let's say, comparatively inefficient way today. Right. Yeah. And I think it's also worth mentioning, you know, you and I actually talked about yesterday a little bit is um, the share price was certainly much lower when it issued all of those shares. But at 2016, you know, when it acquired BG Group, it was paying a, a discounted price based on where the, you know, where the oil and gas market was, the da- where the downturn was. So, you know, just looking at it on paper, it's not as sharp as it might appear because it, it, it paid a fair pre- price, um, even though it was using a discounted share price to uh, for, for a lot of its acquisition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something, you know, there's some Buffett quote about that, right? You know, fair yeah, price, good business. The, the, <laughs> the reality is that um, when it comes to share issuance and share buybacks, uh, companies are rarely super good at their timing. I think we have to, we have to acknowledge, we have to acknowledge that. Yes. And, um, certainly I, you know, folks who listen to all five shows have certainly heard me, um, on financials, uh, talk about share buybacks and how poorly timed they can be. Um, so that's its own long conversation. Um, let's, <laughs> let, let's turn to, let's turn to Exxon. So interestingly, wall street, not exactly thrilled. And yet, you know, revenues up 27% year over year, net income up around 20%. Operating cash flow fairly in line with a year ago. Um, you know, not as strong of growth as we've seen from the other two, but still, I think by most measures, a fairly good quarter. Yeah, you know, Exxon is, you know, kind of an, an interesting. I think to a certain extent, you know, it's a kind of a no good deed goes unpunished <laughs> right. with Exxon because this is a this is a company that historically has generated some of the highest returns in the industry. Uh, it's, you know, return on invested capital has always been near the top, if not the top, um, of, of all the, the integrated majors. And, um, the past few years have not really been that good for ExxonMobil investors, uh, and partially because of the oil downturn, but, um, you know, this is a company that usually does things better than everybody else and it's held to a higher standard. Um, and right now. Exxon is, you know, it's it's dealing with, you know, on the natural gas side, um, and if you look at its production, which has fallen a little bit, right. um, most of its production declined, which is something. This is probably the biggest thing that that investors are complaining about. Um, um, almost ten years ago, now it, it bought XTO Energy, and it made it the largest natural gas producer in the United States, and that was something a lot of people didn't know about the company. It's the biggest natural gas producer in, in North America, really. Um, 
But natural gas prices have trended lower, and a lot of the XTO assets were higher cost production. So it's a big producer, but it wasn't making much money in this particular area. So it's as its production has fallen over the past few quarters, based on its strategy of getting away from those high cost assets, um, it's 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 you know it's affected the business. My counter, my counter to that is. You know, the company's not taking advantage. Why is it not growing production? Oil prices are, you know, in the 70s. You know, we're pushing 80s. We're hearing people say maybe we see 100 before this is all over. Um, I mean, the counter I have to that is it seems to me that the best time, if you're going to make strategic changes and you're going to, you know, try and reduce your high-cost assets and shift and shift your business towards better return projects, why in the heck wouldn't you do that when oil prices are high and it has a m- lesser impact on your bottom line, right? Right. That's, that's my view. Well, and the other piece with that is is there's also this, you know, when oil prices are high, people are willing to pay up for those higher cost assets because, you know, if if, if your break even is 100 bucks and oil prices are 40, well, you know, people aren't going to pay much for those assets. But things get interesting uh, for, you know, other investors perhaps when oil prices are at, you know, 120. And of course, that's not a prediction, just uh, just an example. <laughs> I'm writing this down, Michael. I'm writing this down. So, Five years from now. No, 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 no. I have done some predicting of the future in the banking industry, and we'll see how that turns out. But that's all I'm going to be pegged to right now. Well, it's the, it's the, what's the saying? Um, pundits don't predict because they know. They predict because they're asked. Because the, uh, yeah, I read that somewhere. So more oh. in this case, I got, I got voluntold into a prediction. That is not a prediction, just to be clear. No question okay, about I it. I promise I won't hold you to it. Uh-huh. Yeah. These two years. Yeah. Um, so I want to I give a hat tip to Tyler Crow, one of our colleagues that covers these super majors really closely every quarter. Um, um, he and I uh, and Matt Delalo, another one of our um, energy um, colleagues, we have a long-running conversation. And the, the way they kind of look at ExxonMobil is, you know, it's it's really kind of positioning itself for, for 2020 and, and beyond. Uh, you know, Guyana, Mozambique, and Brazil, that's where it's really investing some long-term Capital in developing um, some some new oil and uh, some actually some LNG as well. Um, so so you know over the next two years it's it's you know we'll we'll kind of see what happens. But um, I think if you look long term and you're a long term bull for oil and natural gas, you know I think ExxonMobil is actually really interesting right now uh, if you're if you're looking for investments. Yeah, we'll get to BP and then some general takeaways here in a minute. But first, a word from our sponsors. This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. You're always on the cutting edge of technology, and TD Ameritrade prides itself on being ahead of the curve, too. Their latest innovations put their resources and services on the popular platforms you carry and use every day. Now all you have to do is enable the TD Ameritrade skill for Amazon Alexa, or message them on Facebook to stay on top of the markets. Learn more about their commitment to innovation at tdameritrade.com slash innovation. All right, Jason, let's turn to BP. Um... (laughs) Sort of like you've heard for everyone else, revenue was up a lot uh, year over year. Earnings were up a lot year over year. Um, in this case, actually, revenue is up nearly forty percent, and earnings were up. And I, I kid you not, twenty fold. So off to be clear, a very low per share base. Operating cash, cash flow up twenty nine percent. You know, just a big upstream swing toward profitability, um, and that's you know really kind of one of the big, big pieces of the story here for BP. Yeah, um, historically BP's um, 
more of its oil production. It's always kind of focused on offshore. You know, we can go back to the Deepwater Horizon and all that kind of stuff. But you know, even after that, the company's still kind of focused on on offshore. It makes big investments offshore. Takes forever for those you know assets to produce. But when they start pumping oil, the, the cash costs are very very low. You get really really good returns. Um, and it's taken the company you know, basically a decade to, to, to kind of get to where it is now. And it's really interesting. Um, speaking of predictions, I made a, a silly prediction a, a few years ago um, as BP's cash um, stockpile started growing that it was going to buy a big, it was going to make a big move into onshore uh, uh, assets. And I was kind of joking around with it, but what did BP just do? Spent $10 billion to buy a big chunk of Permian basin assets. So, yeah. Um, again, the idea, the idea is that, you know, those are quick turn. They're, they're relatively low cost and it's a great way to kind of swing your oil production when there's opportunity. So yeah, that's yeah. what's going on with BP. Well, and one thing we should note about BP as well, you know, it has an, a significant equity stake in Rosneft, uh, which is a uh, Russian um, energy company, and they've had more than a double on profitability from that equity stake. So just something to consider and be aware of as well. It's sort of one of those things that I think most people don't know about BP <laughs> is that they also, you know, to some extent are an investment in this other company. So you, you mentioned the, 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 the equity stake in Ros, Rosneft. I think it's, it's important for investors to remember that, you know, that equity stake shows up on the books gains in value and the company shows a gain, but it doesn't actually get cash flow, right? It owns an equity stake in the company and the value goes up and that, you know, adds value to, to BP's assets, but it doesn't actually put extra money in the bank. So it's really important. And, you know, this carries over to really all of the super majors. You want to look at operating cash flows and not just gap earnings, uh, because there are so many different things that can move the needle in terms of earnings up and down that might be, you know, non-cash um, based on something that happened, um, you know, capital investments, you know, two years before, but now it's a non-cash thing that they're booking. So just be able, kind of be aware of that. It's 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 an important thing to to uh, to factor in. Cash is king with these businesses. That's definitely the key. Yes, and the differences between earnings and cash are always just really critical to know uh, and to be aware of. Um, yes, it's king in this industry. In other industries, it's not necessarily, but knowing the difference is always important just for sort of getting a really clear understanding of the investment thesis and what's going on with the business. Okay, so let's take a step back now. We've kind of talked about these four oil majors, and we've, to some extent, I would say, uh, or super majors, I think to some extent we've um, kind of already given some uh, um, some guidance as to what our general takeaways are going to be. Um, but, uh, you know, Obviously, one of the first things here, one of the big themes, is just rising oil prices lifts all boats. Not shocking, um, especially given that a lot of these companies have fairly flat, or even in some cases, down oil production. It's just when the prices go up this much, profitability ensues. Yeah, it's really you know it's really interesting what's what's happened over you know the past few years as we've, as we've come through this. You know, you go back to 2014. You know, oil prices were 110, 120. You know, and then 2016, early 2016, we were in the low 20s. I mean, you know, oil prices fell by almost a hundred dollars a barrel at, at one point over you know a two and a half year period. Um, and here we are today, and oil prices have you know moved up 60 percent over the past year. And it's it's really impressive if you look at the discipline 
that these companies are showing. They're not racing out to to blow up their production, you know, because you get the boom bust boom bust cycle. So the 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 discipline's been really interesting, and it's it's actually kind of started with with OPEC. You know, it controls a third of the global oil production, hasn't pushed its production way up as oil prices have gone. So there's this really great discipline that's that's carried over through the entire industry, uh, in terms of it's great for the oil companies, it's great for investors. Might not be feel so good at the at the pump for the rest of us, but right. um, it's definitely been 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 good for profitability in the industry. Yes, well, and uh, something we've we've talked about a little bit already, but you know, a lot of emphasis on shale. I mean, you know, as you've noted, you know, it's a quick turn, um, very profitable even at low prices. I mean, there's a lot of reasons to really like that. Uh, as an investor, um, interestingly though, and this is something we were talking about before the show, you know, there, there's this issue where there's not enough infrastructure in the area to actually kind of get all of that um, the oil created um, out of the region, and so you actually have this like really sometimes pretty substantial difference in um, in prices, um, you know, kind of near these fields versus the rest of the country. Yeah, and the interesting thing is for if you look at like Exxon Mobil, which has a pretty large refining presence in the U.S., um, that's actually kind of a benefit for, for, for it and for some of the other uh, regional refiners and more pure-play refiners because they're able to buy that Permian oil for cheaper um, because of the glut. And then gasoline prices, jet fuel prices are based on Brent, which is a little more of a global standard. So there's something called a crack spread. So refiners and the refining operations for some of these super majors are actually benefiting because it's deflating the price of oil in the Permian right now. Um, that's something investors really should watch is, 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 you know, is the midstream companies are investing billions to try to get pipelines out into the Permian. Um, there's going to be a ton of pent up demand for oil to come out of that. So I think we could see investments in production in the Permian, you know, two or three years from now would be even greater as the infrastructure finally gets rolled in to get these things on the national pipeline grid. Yes, and a nice opportunity for the midstreamers in general. So that, that'll yeah. be kind of its own. <laughs> I suspect that's going to be its own um, uh, probably episode in the not-too-distant yeah, future. Yeah, maybe we should do a, do a show on that. Yeah, I mean, you know, they're all part of the same industry. We might as well. Um, yeah, and, and and one of the other things, Jason, that you pointed out bef- beforehand as we were chatting about this is that you know it's really interesting to see kind of the differences between Shell and, and, and Exxon right now, just in terms of like sort of divergent strategies and how that's paid off uh, or or not, as the case may be, um, for both those companies. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's 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 what a difference the timing makes, and that's that's really what it boils down to. Um, is you know I think um, you know Shell made that big big bold move to buy BG Group uh, when it did at the bottom. And you know that scared a lot of investors off. The stock price was way down. I think at one point, Shell's dividend yield was like 9.4, 9.5% for a couple of months because of fears that it wouldn't be able to meet its debt obligations after you know acquiring um, BG Group. So it's going to have to cut its dividend. So uh, fast forward to today, and you know it's, you know, it's, Hugely profitable, massive cash flows, going to throw a ton of money back at buying back shares. Dividends really sustainable. So yeah, it's 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 funny. And same time, Exxon's just kind of muddled along. You know, who'd have thunk it? <laughs> yeah, um, and, and so I guess relatedly, let, let's talk. I mean, you know, we're we're an investing podcast, and so um, thinking about kind of 
these four companies. Which one's your favorite coming out of earnings? And and what are kind of the key things you think people should be kind of watching and looking out for in that company's execution in the coming, let's say, year? So, I if I were going to buy right now, if you were, if you were going to throw a couple thousand bucks in my broker's account for me and said, buy one of these four stocks, I would probably buy Chevron just because I think it's in the strongest now position. I think it's in the strongest now and kind of long-term combined position in terms of bringing its production costs down. Its cash flows are really good. It's in a position to continue growing production while it's still selling off assets. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just kind of, it's kind of hitting on all the the major things you want to see from, from one of these majors right now. And oh, by the way, it's yielding like five and a half percent. So that's, that's good. Um, I think I would put um, Exxon Mobil kind of at a number two in there, just because I think right now that, that because there's a lot of uncertainty, the market's disappointed. So the, the, a lot of it, the market's disappointment's kind of priced in um, to, to where the stock is right now. Um, and I think you fast forward two or three years from now, investors should probably do, should, should do really well if they, they bought Exxon Mobil today with the caveat that sometime between now and 2020, stock price could continue to trend down. It could have periods where it goes down because production is going to continue to decline as, as it intentionally doesn't invest in, in, in assets that are higher cost because it doesn't do itself any favors. And as it sells off, you know, some of those other assets and it's, long-term projects haven't really started to come online to offset those those volume declines. So, you know, so I think there's there's definitely especially if oil prices fall, right? I mean, if oil prices fall 10-15% from here, you know, Exxon's earnings aren't growing anymore. They're going to go the other way. Um, right. so with that reality in the short term, I think there's opportunity um it, you know in the long term. Um BP, you know, it Let's see if they can if they can do this if they can do this thing in the in the Permian if they, you know that's it's never really been their their strength um, in onshore and this is their first big move into into shale and it's a big move so you know let's see if they can you know really generate you know returns from that and some investors uh, think that they overpaid uh, for for what they just bought by a pretty substantial amount so. Yeah, but I mean, you know, if they can get, if they, if they, I mean, their goal is to get break-even price for production down to like thirty-five, forty and a barrel by twenty twenty-one. If they achieve that, I mean, that gets very interesting. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's two and a half years out, though, right? I mean, there's a hell of a lot that can happen right. in, the, in the in the oil and gas market in two and a half years. Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely a, it's definitely an exciting time to to be in. Um, in this industry and just watching kind of the transitions again as oil prices finally <laughs> recover. I don't think any of us, well, I at least didn't think they would be as depressed for as long as they were. Um, I certainly I certainly thought things would turn around uh, maybe a year or two sooner than, than they really have begun to. So um, it's good to see that moving forward and um, investor returns uh, matching those. Um, folks, that's it for this week's financial show. Questions or comments, you can always reach us at industryfocus@fool.com. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. This show is produced by Austin Morgan. For Jason Hall, I'm Michael Douglas. Thanks for listening, and Fool on! Fool on!